0: We spend far too much time worried about what makes us different than the next person or better than the next person and not enough time thinking about why we should respect the next person. We all have a story, an overarching theme that runs through our lives and makes us who we are. The problem is we think that since each of our stories is different, there's not a lot of perceived value or shared struggle, but we have far more in common than we can imagine. And what motivates one person can certainly help us as well lab podcast is about understanding, respecting and appreciating the struggle that it takes to overcome immeasurable odds in order to reach your destiny. Join me as I interview and bond with some of the most inspiring and incredible people diving into their why to get a full understanding of their being. Without each other, we have nothing. So let's go on this adventure together and take on the future with open minds and open hearts. Welcome to the third lab podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Third Lab Podcast. So excited today to have Whitney Wyatt joining me. So Whitney is a PhD student and also a licensed professional counselor. Really excited to have her join today just to talk about her pathway to where she is and some of her advocacy work. And so uh, Whitney, what's going on? How are you?
1: Hey, I'm doing all right. I am cold and snowy. (laughs) But I'm hoping that this stuff melts today.
0: Yes, that would be nice. And so by the time people hear this, the snow will be gone. Uh, But right now, as we record this episode, Whitney and I have both been battling snow in our respective locations uh, for the better part of the past two weeks. So, yeah, looking forward to the snow melting, too. And, yeah, I mean, we can't do much because it's still COVID, but at least it won't be snowy outside. (laughs) <laughs> so Whitney um how we know each other so we actually uh were mutually connected by Teddy Gandy from Blacks Apparel Teddy what's up man I uh, appreciate you making the connection so Teddy reached out to me right at the end of his episode and said that uh Whitney was somebody that I really needed to connect with so he made the connection happen Whitney and I talked she was down to do the podcast yeah really excited again to have you on Whitney just to learn more about you but anything you want to add in regards to how we know each other
1: No, I think that covers it. You know, uh, Teddy told me about you and that you had this podcast and he thought it'd be a good idea, you know, for me to talk with you about what I do and how I got here.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it was funny because Teddy didn't tell me anything about you. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, he made the connection, which was dope. But then I was like, when I reached out to you, I was like, wait a second. I don't know anything about Whitney like this is going to be such an awkward conversation um but we connected and again we're able to just talk and and hash things out so so happy to have you here so Whitney we talked about on the phone where you're from but this is the rep your hood section so you know let the world know where you're coming from what's your hood what hood you repping
1: okay so I'm gonna have to rep two hoods because I was uh born in Flint Michigan and if I don't rep Flint, Michigan, then my family will wonder what is wrong with you. Like this is where you're from, um, <laughs> but I I live most of my life in Nashville, Tennessee, and that that's where I went to high school. Um, so I I do, I do enjoy being in Nashville too. Nice. Um, so I have to rep Flint, Michigan, and Nashville.
0: Shout outs to Flint. Um, shout outs to Michigan I know I got a couple heads from Michigan I don't know you're the first person I know from Flint um, but I know quite a few people from Detroit and then shout out to Cashville Tennessee too man I learned about 10 I mean I know about them because of the Tennessee Titans it's just because you know Nashville is a well-known place but Young Buck (laughs) was the the rapper that went (laughs) so hard for Cashville and I was like oh I am rocking with Cashville now Um, that's all I know about (laughs) that's all I know is through Young Buck So that's awesome. Yeah, again, shout outs to Flint, shout outs to Nashville, Tennessee. And so Whitney, yeah, you, so we said in your, your intro that you are now a PhD student and Mm -hmm. a licensed mental health professional and counselor. So talk to us. That's where you are now, but how did you identify that that was the pathway for you? How did you get started on your journey?
1: I think it may have started in high school. Like I remember sitting with friends and actually talking about, um, we liked psychology because of what we saw on Lifetime movies. Like, like you would have like the kid who is meeting with their counselor and maybe they had some kind of trauma. So they were drawing out their feelings. And we just like, that was interesting to us. And then I took a psychology class my senior year in high school. And that was interesting. But when I went to college, people was telling me like you need to major in the stuff that you enjoy doing. Well, I was a, a drama kid. So I thought, oh, well, I'll be a theater major. Now go to college, but I like psychology too. So I'll make that my minor. And my parents are like, you need a degree that's gonna get you somewhere. Like this theater is whatever. Um, and so I had that psychology minor and my first year in college, I did not enjoy the theater classes. I did not like the acting class. It was not for me. And so then I just ended up switching um, my major to psychology. It was really easy to do that. Um, And that's where I really felt like, you know, this is this is my niche. And, you know, taking those classes, it was so interesting how people's minds work, how people think and how they're thinking. Um, interacts with what they're doing and their behavior. So it was just very interesting for me. But I also had a love to kind of help people, kind of help the unfortunate. So I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do after undergrad, because you really can't do anything with a psychology bachelor's degree. You, it's, it's made for you to go to grad school. Um, and so I was, I was searching Uh, Grad schools, I saw, you know, master's degrees for counseling, and I was like, I think that's what I want to do. I don't necessarily want to do a whole bunch of research. I just, I just want to help people. Um, I want to be in the community and helping people, and I don't necessarily want to just be in an office all day. And I think, I think God heard that because my first job out of my master's program was an in-home counseling. Job and so I was driving all day, <laughs> every day to clients' homes. Wow. Um, so that really, that love to help and serve people kind of got me to this place of doing counseling. And I haven't switched my career at all. Um, you know, it's just what I've been doing since I got out of my master's program.
0: Absolutely. And I love that you got the advice to pursue what you love. Right. And that information, I feel like we get that as adults. It's like, I'm 35 now and I'm like, all right, I'm pursuing what I love. Right. And I was talking to my uncle who he said that he started that mission when he turned 50 and it's like, okay, at least like we're getting progressively younger in pursuit of our dreams. But you know, that advice is so poignant and so just on point Um, because again, like when we can tie our dreams to our everyday work, like we're never gonna be miserable, right? We're able to do what we love every single day. And so on this journey of yours, Whitney, what are some of the stops that you made? So you mentioned like doing in-home counseling, but Mm -hmm. you were in therapy and practicing therapy for seven years before you pursued your PhD, right? And so in those seven years, what were some of the other opportunities that you took on? What were some other like career highlights for you that were like, man, that was such a dope experience and opportunity?
1: You know, one thing I I noticed when I was doing the in-home counseling, um, I was in a rural part of Georgia, just outside of Tennessee, and I noticed that we were not serving a lot of black and brown children. I was counseling children and families, and we were not serving a lot of black and brown children. I probably had one biracial client on my caseload the whole time that I was there. I was there for three years. And I noticed that, you know, why 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 aren't we helping these children? I know that, you know, it's not that they don't have problems or concerns or things that they need help with. So why aren't we serving them? And so that's kind of when my eyes got opened to this disparity in mental health as far as race is concerned. And I don't I don't know if it was the families didn't know about the services or they just they didn't feel like they needed the services, but I, I did, I brought that to you know, my program manager and director of operations. And I was able to put together you know, a little kind of presentation on helping minority clients um, in the community. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get to stay in that position you know, very long just because of the bureaucracy of working for mental health agencies. But I, I do appreciate that experience of having my eyes opened to that disparity. And so now that is driving my passion to make sure that I am a good mental health professional who, you know, is Black and is looking to help other, you know, Black people with their problems because a lot of times, you know, we need someone that looks like us so we can, uh, you know, have a better understanding. Um, and so that situation that that really sparked my kind of passion to look for the black and brown children or adults or clients or people who are struggling and say, I want to help. I want to help you help me to get to you. Help me to get to these people who, who need the help. You're listening to the third lap podcast with Mal Davis. Yeah.
0: Yeah. that That's a, an amazing point And just amazing that you were able to recognize that disparity or inequity and then go about addressing it. Um, and a, a lot of times, I mean, you know, we, we, we see in urban cities, specifically black and brown neighborhoods, like a lack of access to these services, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, in some rural towns, I'm sure, they don't even exist um, because they don't have the resources to have them in place steadily. And so I'm glad that you were able to address it. And even though you weren't able to stay, hopefully like adding that visibility to the process um, ultimately helps some more black and brown families be able to get the services that they needed. And so Whitney, this is also a great segue because you then seem to have like taken that work even further, specifically focusing on black women, Mm -hmm. right? And like the gender racial stereotypes that are commonly assigned to them. And so I would love to hear you talk about that Mm -hmm. and and what's some of the research that you've come across and some of the things that you've seen um, that you really feel need to be addressed to really help black women Mm -hmm. just better advance and and expand their wings professionally and personally.
1: Yeah, so... I love doing this research on black women Um, and so why I decided to get my PhD is I was actually reading a book about the burden of strengths called the burden of strength. And it was it was written by a, a theology professor, and so it was really a way to you know kind of shed light to like pastoral care, how do you help black women in your churches, but it was just so transferable to all black women in all segments of life. Um, And I was like, I need to do more research on this. And I was like, I'm not going to do research for no reason. So let me go back to school and make my research really matter. And so in just doing the research on the stereotypes of black women, it's just amazing how they all started in slavery. They all started from the time of slavery and they have not left us since then. They've just, augmented and now they look different and you know that idea of black women always being strong that strong black woman stereotype you know comes from slavery because the idea of femininity was you know the kind of dependent dainty white woman and not the black one because she was in the fields doing the same hard work as the man so she was considered as strong and not feminine and and not have you know the the womanhood you know as you know the idea of femininity would say that she should have and so that that hasn't gone anywhere it just looks different now you know it looks different in how You know, maybe black women don't feel safe enough to be vulnerable or don't feel safe enough to cry and say, hey, I do need some help. Another kind of, I guess, highlight in my career that pertains to this is when I was working at the um, university counseling center at Mercer University, and I would do presentate like classroom presentations, and the black female students would see my face and see what I did. And then they would start coming into therapy just because there's a black counselor there and I can be vulnerable with her because there was no other place for these young black women to be vulnerable and to say, hey, I need some help. And so, you know, that's, that's one stereotype. The other, there's several, but the other um, that comes to mind is the Jezebel stereotype or the oversexualized black woman. And that, you know, again, its origins in slavery. When the slave masters would rape the slave women, they would justify it by saying, oh, these, these women, they always want sex. You can't, you can't rape the black women because she, she, she's always wanting sex. That's what she's kind of there for. And that, you know, has not gone anywhere, but changed over time to where when black women are raped they're not believed as much as other women might be. And so, you know, there's that struggle of when a black woman is assaulted, do I go and report this or do I keep quiet? Do I go seek help about it? Because I don't even know if people are gonna believe that I was actually raped. Are they gonna blame me, blame what I was wearing or what I was doing on the reason why I was raped or assaulted? So, you know, these stereotypes have not gone anywhere. They've just grown since slavery and they look different and they match the times
0: yeah for sure I think as an adult man one of like the biggest and I'm sure women will be like yo this dude here but one of the biggest sort of like awakenings that I had was realizing like how many adult women black and brown women have been sexually assaulted like haven't said anything you know it was just a part of them growing up Um, And even with the like gang culture and a lot of young women that get caught up in that. And it's just traumatic, man. Like, you know, and seeing that black men is not just white men handing out and doling out this abuse, right? Like black men are also playing a role in this. Um, And it's important to be aware of it so that you can avoid being that dude, man. And, you know, learn how to support women, learn how to support our queens, man. Because there's a lot of healing that needs to happen in this black community. Um, but until we, like you mentioned with the, the uh, research that you're doing now that I, I look forward to you being able to present during your dissertation, but like we have to address there's a problem mm-hmm. and then move towards a solution, right? Like yeah. we can't pretend like it doesn't exist um, because like you said, all it's done is just like reformulate itself to match current times but nothing has really changed, right? Like mm-hmm. we still look at black women as these sexual objects in our music and our entertainment in our everyday life. Right. Like, you know, we we still think of them. And in, in Teddy's episode, he talked about just with birth, birthing a child as a black woman, how dangerous it is, because people still believe these yeah. these concepts around black women are so much tougher and they don't need this and they don't need that. They'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And it's just not true. Um, and so I'm excited, Whitney, that you mm-hmm. get a chance to, to dig into something that is so meaningful to you. Um, and like you said, you do the research, but are able to turn it into something actionable where people are able to learn from it. But again, I'm hoping that we as a community can take this information and do something with it. And so Whitney, once you're done PhD and and you're Dr. Wyatt, where are you headed next? What do you see next for yourself?
1: Yeah, so I am excited to take my research and actually use it in the field. Um, You know, that was the main reason for going back to school is so that my research would matter. Um, and actually do something for the community. So, um, you know, I wanna make sure that what I have learned in school, what I have learned from my research actually gets disseminated out into the larger field of psychology. So, you know, I wanna continue my research and be able to publish, you know, books and journal articles on, you know, the black woman and, and what our lives are like and, how these stereotypes can be a hindrance and just really how to treat Black women, either how to treat them from the mental health perspective or just how to treat them and treat us as humans, as people, you know, for the lay person to understand, you know, what black women are going through. And so yeah, I'm just I'm excited to kind of be able to disseminate the information. You know, I still see myself counseling. I I want to be able to target the population of Black women. And so I'm looking forward to being able to kind of set up my practice to where I can reach out to Black women and and making sure that I am an available person uh, for them when they need therapy. You're listening to the Third Lap Podcast with Mal Davis. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And something I wanted to touch on in regards to representation, and you mentioned in that Mercer that the Black women felt secure to come to you and talk, and why it's so important that we have representation and diversity across the mental health spectrum. Um, because I was diagnosed with uh, clinical depression at like 15. And mm-hmm. I mean, to even to this day, I've had three mental health professionals that were not white, and everybody else was, was a white man or woman. Um, and my comfort level drastically changed depending on who that person was shared interests and backgrounds intersection stuff like that and so i can relate to that moment of like seeing a black mental health professional black men specifically like oh i didn't like i didn't even know this was a choice it's like i didn't know i had this option to speak a little bit on that part around representation what's some advice that you may give to a young black woman or or a young latinx woman that may be listening to this podcast one day and it's like I really see a, a future in mental health for myself. What are some suggestions that you would give them? What are some of the things that maybe you did well that you would say, hey, do that? Or maybe things you didn't do so well, they're like, hey, if you're going through this same situation, like navigate it differently by doing X.
1: You know what? I find that where I'm doing my degree now is an HBCU. I'm at Tennessee State University. And I feel like my passions for black women are heard where I am like nobody's questioning why do I want to do research on black women and so I would highly recommend going to a, a school or university that is doing work in diversity that's doing work in minority populations because I you know as far as looking for schools to go to you know they interviewed me but I had to interview them because if they weren't doing Any research at all in, you know, minority populations, diversity, racial, ethnic differences, then that wasn't a place for me to go to. And it could have been a great school, a big name school, but if they weren't doing that work, there would be like we wouldn't match. Um, So, you know, for Black women or Latinx women that are looking to get into this kind of field. I would say look for schools that are doing the work already in minority populations with Black and brown people, because probably, and I would say every, every professor in the psychology department at Tennessee State University is doing some kind of research with minority populations. And so that's a, a big thing to look for.
0: Yeah, I love that. Just the intentionality component of finding a program that's matching the work that you're trying to do. And that's excellent advice, I think, for any degree program, right? Like as you're looking for your next steps, whether that's a bachelor's, master's, PhD level work or EDD for some of my folks getting their doctorate. Always match the, po- the, the program with your passion, because the last thing you want to do, and I think we all experienced that at undergrad, I know I did, was like paying money for a program or for a school that was just like, nah, like, <laughs> had I really done my research and done my work, I probably wouldn't have paid money to go here. Um, yeah. and, and definitely shouts out to the HBCUs for sure. Um, shout outs to Jackson, to to Tennessee State. Um, and all of I've had quite a few HBCU alums on this podcast. So it's dope just to get the love. And they, they said the same thing that like being around so many people that care about the same thing with the intensified their work and their passion. So I'm glad that that same aspect or that same um, thing is happening for you. And so talk to us, though, this wouldn't be the third lab podcast unless we talked about resilience due to mm-hmm. difficulty, right? Or like having to overcome hurdles and and things in the workplace. And as a Black woman, you already talked about how there are two prevailing sort of misnomers about just Black women, period. I'm sure you've had to face that, right? Like that probably led to the the research in and of itself. So yeah, Whitney, talk to us, like, what are some of the things that you've had to overcome as a Black woman in the mental health space?
1: Yeah, so... I'm very thankful that it, I've not had to experience things that were so intense and overt, like a lot of microaggressions, but um, I think of a one in particular, when I was in my the first counseling job, I was doing the in-home counseling, there was a county in North Georgia that they would not assign me to see clients because it was just that racist. Like, it was um it was dade county georgia right on the state line of of, uh tennessee and georgia and if we had clients that came from dade county they would not assign me to go up there and i on the one hand i was thankful because i didn't want to be in that place where i felt like you know i was in danger but on the other hand it was like uh this was 2012 to 2015 i just you you really have such a segregated county that if i if i go there i could be in danger like that really i don't want to say surprised me but it really did open my eyes to what is still happening you know in this country and that's not even to talk about what's been going on in the media lately but you know just how i couldn't even go up the mountain to Dade County because they thought I would be in danger like that. So I'm thankful that, you know, that was recognized and I didn't have to go there and experience, you know anything like really dangerous but working in the other counties in North Georgia, it was, everybody was respectful but the children would let me know what their parents really thought about me And black people, because they would say, you know, my mom, she really doesn't like black people. And so I'm going into your house, right? And you don't even really like black people. And I'm talking to your son or your daughter in this private setting. I don't know, you know, like what you really think of me. Um, But yeah, there was one kid in particular. We had, he has two workers. Um, The other worker was a white lady, and he disclosed to her. I don't understand why I like Whitney so much because she's black. So these kids were being taught racism and they told me about it. Now their parents didn't say anything, but they told me about it and I had those experiences and I would really you know just be on my toes when I entered their houses because of you know how they thought I didn't want to do the wrong thing and you know shotguns come out. I don't know what was going to happen. There were Confederate flags everywhere and it felt, it felt unsafe, but I did it for three years. I did it.
0: (laughs) Hey, so I'm really excited to announce the first ever advertiser for the third of podcast. And of course, it's the homie Teddy Gandhi and his team from Blacks Apparel. Blacks is a clothing company that focuses on Black reality, both past and present. They share daily Blacks or Black facts, quotes, and content regarding Black reality through their social media. So stop by the store at Blacks.com, that's B-L-A-C-T-S.com, to check out the Blacks basic teas and all of their inventory. Blacks also uses its platform to collaborate with local artists, so keep an eye out for their limited edition tees and apparel. Make sure to use the promo code third lap for 10% off your first purchase. I mean really what you waiting for? Get the Blacks.com third lap for 10% off your first purchase. Support the homie Teddy support the podcast. Let's go. And look at you there. And, and when they said you you might not have been able to or you might not have made it but you did it um yeah. but yeah and like that's the whole sort of like um the misinformation around racism especially here in America which is that once this older generation of baby boomers die off the like racism in this country ends and you know I'm always like like racism is a learned trait. We're not born that way. So there's no way that this goes away without people unlearning hatred, right? Unlearning these societal biases that they've built up over time. And so, you know, your experience speaks to the truth of the matter is that there are marginalized white people in this country that feel as though they've lost opportunity. How we see them run into the Capitol building behind us, right. right? And so, you know, right. as we sit here and try to say, that there'll be a better day, like, yeah, there will be, but we'll have to work for it. It's not gonna magically go away. Um, There's a a real sentiment in this country amongst marginalized poor white people that like they deserve better and we deserve nothing. Um, And, you know, as they see, especially and you know, for all the black women that I've had on this show and, and continue to network with my wife, family members, like I'm always speaking to life that like, this is the age of the black woman, right? But like mm-hmm. that is also hugely intimidating to a lot of people a lot of people don't want to see kamala harris winning in this in this you know in this life um a lot of people don't want to see stacy abrams right winning mm-hmm. like they they would much rather keep them marginalized keep them as jezebels and so you know again whitney i'm so appreciative of the work that you're doing and the fact that you came on today to speak about the work that you've done and your experiences because I feel like this could be, it should be very uplifting to other black women in this work. Um, And to just black women in general that are seeking out mental health professionals. Hey man, Whitney's out here. You got other folks like Whitney out here that are looking to hold you down. And so I'm glad that you didn't have to go through some of like the really treacherous, you know, life lessons, um, especially when dealing with race, because those can be quite dangerous, but, Mm -hmm. you know, still had to overcome things along your pathway to get to where you are. And so Whitney, as we talked about, you know, sort of how your pathway started, drama kid that went to college, wanted to focus on that on that first, but realized that um, like therapy and psychology was probably a more realistic pathway for you. Mm-hmm. Did it have worked the field now attaching your passion to the research that you do for your PhD program. What keeps you pushing? I mean, getting a PhD in and of itself is incredibly difficult. Um, and uh, and so you know, having connected with other folks that have finished it or on that pathway, just doing that by yourself is enough, right? But still working, still achieving your goals and accomplishing your visions. So, what is your motivation? What's your why to keep waking up and keep doing this work every day?
1: Yeah, you know, I I liken this PhD journey to being on a roller coaster because when I decided to go and I got accepted and I'm starting. It's like you're going up the roller coaster. It's the ticks going up to the roller coaster, and then you get into your first class. You're at the top, and you're about to you're about to go down in all the loops and swirls. And it's like I'm I'm strapped in, and I'm going up, and I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? What is happening right now? But I'm locked in. I can't I can't get off the ride now because I'm up. We going up. Um, but just knowing what i knowing what i want for myself like as a licensed counselor i was working really hard but for not a lot of money and it's not really about the money but it's about wanting to be able to help people and do it with the right mindset and do it ethically and do it because you love to do it. Because when you're working extra hard and not getting paid with your worth, that burnout happens a lot more quickly. And so I needed to, first of all, get more training under my belt, and to be able to position myself to be able to write my own ticket so that I can help the way that I want to help, so that I don't um, experience the burnout as much as I was before. Because when you are in certain, like, especially community agencies, it's almost like these clients are on a conveyor belt. And it's like, how many clients did you see today? How many clients did you see this week? And not really, okay, am I helping you? Am I giving you what you need? Is this working? Is this relationship working for you? Um, and so I just think, you know, my my goals to be able to practice how I want to practice is going, is keeping me going, you know, and it's not about thinking, well, did I see enough people this week so that I can get paid enough this week? But really, like, did I help someone, you know, this week? Did I really give, you know, the clients what they needed? Am I really helping? Like, I need to be helping and not worried about, you know, the money aspect or the productivity aspect, you know, because that, that bureaucracy was just, you know, kind of crazy. So yeah, so my, my desire to be a better helper is what keeps me going. And, you know, now that I'm on this roller coaster, I really can't get off until it's done. And so I got to finish it out. But yeah, I really want to, I really want to help people and, Not not have it burn me out so much. You're listening to the Third Lap Podcast with Mal Davis.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that burnout component I can relate to in education is something that especially in charter education, especially in urban charter education, you see it all the time. It's like two years and folks are out. Like we've Mm -hmm. we've burnt them on both sides. Like we can't they, they have to go and refresh and do something else. Um and again, I think what you said earlier, like really at the beginning when you talked about your career and how it started was around that intentionality component of attaching yourself to something that you really love and not Mm -hmm. saying that teachers that burn out in education don't love teaching. um, But I know quite a few that saw teaching as a a way to get a check. And, you know, I feel like any job you're doing for a check, eventually, you're going to get to a point where you can no longer do it right like you have to align Mm -hmm. yourself better with something more purposeful. Um, and then the I love the roller coaster analogy. That is me on every roller coaster I've ever been on. I'm screaming. I'm like, why do I keep doing this? Yeah. Um, and I feel bad for my kids because they'll be going on roller coasters by themselves. Malcolm's not <laughs> getting on anybody's roller coaster. Those days are yeah. over. But Whitney, so we're we're getting to the tail end of the podcast here. And again, really just appreciate your time. This is Malcolm Davis on the Third Lap Podcast with Whitney Wyatt talking about her career in mental health. And so Whitney, you talked about what your motivation was, what's your why, what keeps you pushing. This is the component of the show here, which is the motivational thoughts for the people. So your opportunity to really like stamp your message today. So when people walk away from your episode today, what do you want to make sure that they understand about you, about your message or about anything that you want to impart to them in the, in the time that you're on here?
1: Yeah. You know, I think I just, Want to be an advocate for mental health in the Black community and letting people know that going to see a therapist and going to get help is not a weakness, but it's a strength. You know, there's is, is bravery and vulnerability. You have to be brave to open up, you know, to a person about what you're going through. And, you know, I, I promise that is helpful. You know, I want people to walk away knowing that. There are professionals out here, black professionals. We want to see you, you know, come in get the help and, you know, get better, walk away better, whatever that looks like, whatever, however long you need to be in therapy, whatever else you need, whether it's medication or long-term therapy, like it doesn't matter as long as you're getting the help that you need, like that, that's important. And so- you know, I'm an advocate for mental health. I'm an advocate for treating Black women the way we should be treated. You know, we're not superhuman and we're not subhuman. Um, you know, we are. We are like you said. We're we're queens. We're we're worth. You know, being treated fairly and well and you know when you feel like your back is up against the wall know that there are other black women out here rooting for you like you talked about Kamala Harris and Stacey Abrams you know Stacey Abrams is my girl we're friends but she don't know it (laughs) but you know I just I want to be like like them I want to be a face that when you look or you hear my name you know that Whitney she's out here for the black woman like she's going to help us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to say, I love your shirt. I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. Yeah, Yeah, I (laughs) thought it was. So I have the same shirt, um, Uh different color. But even that I think really speaks to what the message is for this podcast, right? Like you mentioned the definition of Black women really stems from slavery. Yet I'm sitting here with an empowered Black woman that's looking to empower others because you are your ancestors' wildest dreams, right? Like when our ancestors sacrificed themselves from slavery through the sixties, you know, my wife and I just watched Judas and, um, mm-hmm. and the black Messiah. And so, you know, what we've been fighting for, we've been fighting for, for centuries now. Right. But like that same vision of what we could be is what you're attempting to manifest now with And so again, you know, I hope with our ancestors blessings and, and the universe behind you that you're able to really continue to do this work and, and continue to be a beacon for black women into in the mental health world. And as somebody that again was diagnosed at like 14 or 15, I'm 20 years deep into therapy um, mm-hmm. and I'll be in therapy the rest of my life. Like when I go two or three, when I go, I went three weeks the other, like a month ago without talking to my therapist. And I was just like, all right, yo, like mm-hmm. this, we can't do this because you need to unpack it. You need to have that safe space to have those professional conversations. And so Whitney, man, it's awesome that you you continue to make that space for people to be able to help themselves and also ultimately help others. Cause like when we're, when we're healing ourselves like we're not doing horrible things to other people, right? Like hurt people hurt right. people. So when you're on your path to redemption and understanding yourself, you tend to project out less. Um, and we need way more people to not project on the others things that they should be working on for themselves. And so Whitney, what are you reading or what are some things that you've read that you think would be really helpful to people? It could be anything, you know, Mm -hmm. I've I've had every book suggestion you can imagine on here. So anything that you want to suggest to the people that tune into your episode?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting because I am reading a lot of textbooks and journal articles, but one of the books that I was reading that got me interested into the work It's called too heavy a yoke the burden of strength so that was that was what got me into doing the work and then i read another book about the stereotypes of black women it's called shifting that was another one and i have the parable of the brown skinned girl that i've not been able to read yet but i have the book and i can't wait till i get a break from school so that i can read that one um, so as you can see, a lot of what I read is centered around what my passions are and what I'm doing in school. So even my, you know, leisurely reading has something to do with empowering Black women and learning more about our lives and, and how we got to where we are.
0: I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> I am constantly reading about like Black civil rights and how mm-hmm. the Panther Party and SNCC started and, you know, how they were able to organize communities in a meaningful way. So. I'm right there with you. Like, you know, I think we have to continue to engage in the things that we're passionate about, because again, if we're looking to do this for a living, we have to be well-versed in it. We have to understand Mm -hmm. it in a very specific way to be able to help people. And so awesome suggestions. And also, I mean, if you, I love those like scholarly journals. So if you ever have some like, man, this is real interesting right here. Like anything around like how to better support black women, the perspective of black women, email it, text it to me, I'm going to check it out. Because again, I'm, I'm always looking to learn more and grow. Um, and those scholarly articles are a great way to do so. And so again, Whitney, we're here at the end. Where can people find you on social media? And also folks are looking to in, like reach out to you for more information about mental health or potentially to become clients of yours? How can they find you?
1: Yeah. So if you're just, you know, looking for my Instagram, it's W. That's my my Instagram. Facebook is just Whitney Wyatt. Um, I also have a a baking profile because I like to bake. That's what I do on the side. And so if anybody in... Nashville area is looking to order some cupcakes or cookies. You can find me at Love Always Desserts.
0: I love it. Got to get the hustle going, man. Yeah. Um, and so I'll post up, I actually just followed you now on mm-hmm. Instagram, but I'll make sure to post your social media information as well so that people can check you out, but also check out, check out the big goods mm-hmm. um, because, you know, we always need those in our life. Some, some good home cooked big goods. And so Whitney, again, for like the thousandth time, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you. Um, It's always great connecting with a person that I I haven't known for years because it gives me an opportunity to learn to add a new person to my network of, of really dope individuals, you are definitely a part of that network now. And so as we are preparing to sign out for today, is there any last words you want to leave the people with?
1: No, I just thank you for having me. I'm really excited. So doing a podcast is on my bucket list. So I'm excited hey. that I got to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, this is fun. I'm excited. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course, Whitney, I can tell you right now, this will not be the last time that you're on a oh. podcast. I actually just started one uh, with the homie Tim Masaquai. So we are, uh, it's, it's about mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I will be reaching out to you again to talk on, mm-hmm. on the Mind Your Mentals podcast podcast with Tim and Mal uh, here and in their future. So definitely excited about that and on my own sort of journey into the mental health world, mm-hmm. um, not as a licensed professional, but more so as just the host. But yeah, Whitney, you'll, you'll have so many more of these opportunities and engagements in the future, I'm sure. But really excited to be able to release this episode so that you can share it with your network and, and I can just share it with the world abroad and people could just tune in and, and just hear about your experiences. And so again, this is Mal Davis with the Third Lap Podcast signing out with Whitney Wyatt. And as always, each one, teach one, we all learn together. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Third Lap Podcast. This is your host, Mal Davis. Please visit thethirdlappodcast.com for more information about the podcast, about our guests, and also to see our reading list. You can find us at the third lap podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook at third lap on Twitter and at third underscore lap underscore podcast on Instagram. If you know anyone, that would be great to be featured on this show. Please reach out to our host, Mal Davis. He's always looking for interesting people to learn more about them and to talk about their pathway. Thank you so much again. Have a good one.